it is nice to be together. Times like this when you, it's a bit difficult making the trek over here, so you appreciate it all the more. But um, one thing, uh, I was in Fairbanks today. I had a, an appointment with an eye doctor. And I'll make this brief, but just this, this guy's an eye doctor, and yet he's got a son, six-year-old son, that has a pretty severe eye disease that he's been working through and working with for a number of years. You look at somebody like that, like the guy must have a calling, you know, to be an eye doctor, and yet he can't. He's Dr. Personette, some of you know that he can't fix his son. Anyway, he, he's, he likes to share a little bit of, of the faith, but he, he, he asked me, you know, what was happening in my life. I just, and let me just say this, the further I go, the less I know. And I said that before he put drops in my eyes, and then he, he walked, he let me there for about 15 minutes and come back, and he wanted to know what, I, what did I mean by that, because he, he, he kind of wondered if I was leaning a bit left in my faith that anything you know, like I don't have a defined God anymore and I don't know really what God is up to and what he, you know, what it really means and such. And I said, well, really on the contrary, I said, you know, the further I go, the, the less I know, but the more convinced I am that God's got it wired. And, and we talked a bit on that, on that vein. And I really believe that's the path that we're on that we really don't know, and, our, and I talked a little bit, I didn't bring up Brother Sparks, but talked around him, about really the further we go, the, 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 the really what's required is submission in our heart and not our own initiative. And he, he, he did connect with that. I was pleased to. I don't remember which church he goes to. But I, I thought, thought of that song, um, further along, we'll know more about it. Further along, we'll understand why uh, cheer up my brother live in the sunshine something like that you remember that song we sang last last fall I guess it was and many of us are there where we are going through things and we don't have an answer and we don't know we don't understand but we understand that God has a purpose and he's got a plan and if we stay the course he'll direct us along so Lord help us tonight to uh, allow your word to have free course in our hearts father that when we don't know and when there's doubts and fears, Lord, that, that we'll hold and we'll trust you, Lord, in confidence, Lord, that you who began a good work in us will complete it to the day of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
appreciate the praises and the opportunity to together worship the Lord. This morning, uh, in the prayer time, we we began with a a hymn, an old hymn that. The main part said, uh, "Prayer is a uh, faith is a victory," but immediately after that, but still changed, and to that old Weston song that says, "Lord, I believe," and then it says, "Help my unbelief," and then uh, one of the last songs was, uh, "Lord of the Valley." Lord of the night. And I think one of the verses says we we sing or we're singing in the darkness. And we definitely need to know our Lord in the hard times. Of course, Brother Steve is going through a physical situation, but uh, but it would seem to me <clears throat> the most difficult thing is when the heart of the Father cries out for a child, even though they're grown up, but they still. I remember uh, my mother, uh, I have an older brother, the oldest actually, He's about 18 years older than I am. And I remember one time, uh, he must have been around 60 about that time. Uh, and I just happened to be there visiting my mom. And my mom was sitting, I think she was sitting uh, on her bed. And he came, he came uh, to say hi. And he's, he came from work, he was very tired. He sat down and, and my mom began to with his hair and I thought boy I'm sure that for her he's still a little boy <laughs> and so when the most precious thing we have which is our faith and some of our children go a different route not only a father but also the mother's heart suffer so we need to pray for each other. I was watching that and been greatly blessed by the children singing and the teenagers. Uh, and I went back to when I was that age, because you know, really, you don't know what's ahead. We just don't know. And I can also remember my mom praying for me when I left the church and went a different route and I could see she was hurting and she will tell me uh, I was going the wrong way. My father did too, but I, I didn't realize how much they hurt until now. That I have my own older children and even though I thank God that they all, they all, uh, they haven't gone the wrong way but I can still see 
that my mom must have suffered quite a bit and my dad too. My dad warned me a lot. He told me, you're not going to get anywhere. Don't go that route. Obviously, I didn't listen. And so we need to pray for our children, for our young fellows, that if this is the most precious thing that we got, uh, that somehow they'll see in our lives, not on our words, but on our lives, that it's worth going that way. Isaiah chapter 55. There's a verse there that I've been thinking about, but the chapter opens up with a verse that we quote often, or at least we, we talk about it sometimes. He said, all you who are thirsty, I'm reading for, from a different Bible that I found at the Fairbanks house. And, I ask permission to borrow it. And, uh, what I like about this Bible is this picture. <laughs> but uh, I think whoever uh, the scholars that translated it, uh, I like some of the things they did. And so I, I wanted to read, read it and see what, how some of the verses compare with the other ones. But anyway, it says, all you who are thirsty, come to the water. And there's a key there that uh, we have to be thirsty. We have to want to know him. And I believe that uh, there are stages of this uh, because when we came, we were thirsty when we first came to the Lord. But he, he's telling us, all you who are thirsty, and uh, if we can quickly uh, read a couple of verses and then we'll come back here. There are a couple of verses uh, about this theme. Referring to Jesus. And so in uh, John 7 37, John 7. It says that on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and exclaimed, let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. And so we're not going to come unless we are thirsty. If we're satisfied with what we got or the way we are, then you are not going to be thirsty. You are not going to heed his, uh, his he said, uh, he stood up and exclaimed, let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. And in Revelation, uh, I 
21, the end of the... of the Bible. There's a verse in the sixth verses, it says, to the thirsty, I will give a gift from the spring of life given water. So the thirsty, it says here, this is the end of the Bible, or thirsty end, said, I will give them a gift from the spring of life given water. And then in the very last chapter, 22, at the end, 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the hearer say, come. Let the one who thirsts come forward. And the one who wants it, receive the gift of life-giving water. So, is there? Is there for anybody that will want it? But to want it, you got to be thirsty. And so that's how the chapter starts. And it says, you, have, you who have no money, come, receive grain and eat. Come without pain and without cost, drink wine and milk. And so once again, the invitation to just come. Freely given is for, it's for you, it's for me. It's right there if you want it. And then he says, uh, why spend your money for what, is not, for what is not bread? Your wages for what fails to satisfy. Now once you have come this way, once you have tasted of the Lord, I don't think any, anything else will satisfy you. Yet there is a question that comes to our minds when we see people that have grown with us in the church, been under the same uh, songs, under the same dealings, uh, and yet it appears to me, but we'll see that that's not so, but it appears to me that they're spending their money on what is not bread, their wages in what fails to satisfy. Yet the warning is not for them, it's for me. Heed me and you shall eat well. You shall delight in rich fare. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he might be found. Call him while he is near. And then there's a, there's a calling here for that one that went the wrong way, which I don't think is only talking when you go the wrong way like uh, some of us did but, uh, for a long period of time, but also it's talking about when, when at any given moment you err and you go the wrong way and seek the Lord where he may be found, call him while he's near. Let the scoundrel forsake his way. Uh, is that talking about you and me? I'm afraid so. And the wicked man, his thoughts, let him turn to the Lord for mercy, for our God, who is generous in forgiven. He is generous in forgiven. 
And then, here comes this verse. But, but sometimes we use this verse without reading what he's talking about. He's talking about first to be thirsty, to mend our ways, and then to anybody who has gone the wrong way to call him back. And he said, if he comes back, or he said, he's generous and forgiven. And then he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. I was beginning to see if I would really believe that, I would have make less mistakes throughout the life, our life, my life. Because sometimes I equate my ways with his ways, and they were not so. They were not so. As high as the heavens, he said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. So it's talking about that he is way beyond what we think it should happen, what the way things should go. He's way beyond that. And so that when we're going through something and we're focusing what we're going through, he's looking for something else. And I, I fail to forget that he doesn't think like I do. Now, it does say, though, in the New Testament, and I think Brother Tom read this, or Brother Ted said that uh, we have the mind of Christ. And he said the mind of Christ is, is accessible to us. But I think even, even that, I think he's still talking about that there's a God that is not thinking the way I, I think. And, it, uh, and just to say that, he said, for just as from the heavens, I'm sorry, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. So that should um, humble us a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes some of our arguments are based on, on my thinking that I know what I'm talking about and that I'm right and anybody else is wrong. Well, I'm sure nobody does that. But I think if we will read this verse, we'll realize there's always a possibility I might not be right. In the New Testament, in first chapter, uh, I mean, first Corinthians, 13th chapter, towards the end, after the, all it says about love, it says, now we see through a glass darkly. And I'm sure all of you know how those mirrors were back in those days. They didn't have the mirrors we have now. They polished some, some metal the best they could, and that was their mirror. So it says, that's, what he, that's why it says, we, we, now we see through a glass darkly. <coughs> I 
But listen to the rest of this chapter. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But shall do my will, achieving the end to which I sent it. That's our trust. We must come to the point where we believe that his word will not return void. And not only that, but I think that the King James says it will prosper. It will prosper for whatever reason it was said. It will accomplish its work. I think that's what, that's what will give us strength. Not that I might be able to fulfill it, not that I will uh, redouble my e efforts to get there, but that his word will do the work. The Book of Lamentations. Third uh, chapter. <coughs> the context of this book. Most people think that Jeremiah is the one that wrote it. But whoever wrote it was right in the middle of a crisis. That's when the God's people or the kingdom of uh, I think first Judah and then, uh, first Israel and then Judah both are going to be defeated. Both are going to go through a great deal of pain and terrible things are going to happen there. And uh, finally, Jerusalem is going to be conquered. And not only that, they're going to, to go into the temple. And they're going to steal the things that were there. Some of the women are going to die. Some of the children are going to die. Some of the princes are going to die. The king is going to be taken captive. A lot of things are going to happen to them. And right in the middle of this, we got this, uh, this man, Jeremiah. There's an introduction to this book and there's some parts that I, I would like to read to you from, from a, a different translation. It said, what happens when everything you believe in and live by is smashed to bits by circumstances? What happens? 
Some of you are there right now. Sometimes the reverse, reversals of what we expect from God come to us as individuals, other times as entire communities. When it happens, does catastrophe work to reform our lives to conform to who God actually is and not the way we imagine or wish him to be? So when these things happen, does it change us? Does it conform us to become what he wants us to be and not what we think we should be? Or like it says here, not the way we imagine or wish him to be. I wonder how many things are just imaginations. Does it lead to an abandonment of God? Or worse, does it trigger a stubborn grasping to the old collapsed system of belief, holding on for dear life to an illusion? So just imagine this country. They call themselves God's people. They had the priesthood, the king, the sacrifice, offerings to the Lord at this place. Suddenly, an army comes and conquers them, kills lots of them. You know, any, any war is brutal. Any war is cruel. Because of our children, I don't want to tell you exactly what happened, but you can read it. Isaiah chapter, uh, Jeremiah chapter 52, it will tell you exactly what happened. You wouldn't want to be there. And suddenly all of this collapses. And Jeremiah is watching all of this. When all of this happened, like he says here, you can question God. You can ask, where is he? What happened with him? But he says worse is that a system that is collapsing, a system of belief, and you hold onto that when that is an illusion. When Jeremiah's ministry began, the people of Judah just wanted to float on the economic good times. But as war, ruthless political factions, ambition, corruption, and eventually economic collapse and famine gradually sucked the nation under. The people scrambled to hang out anything, including fantasies about God that promised to keep them alive. They wanted to hold and to anything to avoid what was coming. So they lashed out at Jeremiah with arrest and death threats, calling him a traitor because he predicted their defeat. Do you know that? He told him why was happening, why that was happening, and what was going to happen. 
And you remember they put him right at what the, the, the war is raging, when they are fighting on the streets. You know where he was? The poor fellow, they put him on this pit. Just imagine that. But there's a connection that he has. He knows what's happening. He knows his God is there. So Lamentation chapter 3. The chapter began saying, I'm a man who knows affliction. Other version says, I'm a man that knows suffering. And so some of you that are here could say, I'm a man that knows suffering. I'm a man who knows affliction from the rod of his anger. And he goes on. I was reading uh, this chapter and uh, some of the things he says here. I've been there. And I know some of you have been there. And some of you are there. Verse 7. He has, hemmed, he has hemmed, hemmed me in with no escape, weighted me down with chains. Even when I cry out for help, he stops my prayer. Other version says, he turns a deaf ear to my prayers. He has blocked my ways with fitted stones and turned my paths aside. Verse 14, I have become a laughing stock for all nations. They taunt me all the day long. He has broken my teeth with gravel. Press my face to the dust. Now when he's talking about this, he's not, he's not, just, he's not poetry. He's seen that happening with his people and he has suffered that himself. My soul is deprived of peace. When you are going through something real difficult, sometimes you can identify with this. I have forgotten what happiness is. I tell myself my future is lost. All that I hope for from the Lord. You can get to that point when you said, what's the use? Remember we read a verse that says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And we got to trust 
that he knows what he's doing. The thought of my homeless poverty is wormwood and gal. Remembering over and over lives my soul downcast within me. But now here comes the answer. He said, when he's right there in the middle of that, after quoting all the, writing all those things that we just read, and then he said, but I will call this to mind as my reason to have hope. We must remember in the middle of the test, this is what he remembers. And we must remember that too. This is a different version. The favors of the Lord are not exhausted. His mercies are not spent. The King James says, uh, it says that his compassions have not come to an end. Compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. How about that? That's the Lord. That's compassion. Sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. And then alleviate means to make something such as pain or suffering more bearable. He's not going to do away with it. He's just going to give you strength to bear it. That my portion is the Lord, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. It's another version here. I think the King James says, or, or, or another version that I read somewhere, he said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now once again, going back to what we read. And so when he says that, is not necessarily talking about the test I'm going through that he's going to done away with. But rather, that he's looking for something else to do in you. And that's... And, and so this applies there when it says that we are not consumed because of his mercies. We will not be consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness to his word, to his work. Not necessarily to mine. 
That is hard to take. One of the reasons I believe we've been conditioned to believe that uh, as, as we read Hebrews 11.1, 1, that it's just a matter of believing, having faith, and things will work out. And it appears that that's the way it goes, as you can see. The road has not been easy, and it will not be easy. But he said, his mercy, his compassion will not fail. And then he says, uh, in that other part, he said that is I read it from another version. Chapters, uh, verse 17, a different way of putting this. I gave up on life altogether. I have forgotten what the good life is like. I said to myself, this is it. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. Verse 19, I will never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I have swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. Those are the things we must not remember. Because he said, but there's one other thing I remember. And remember it, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They are created, they're created new every morning. How great you faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I said it over and over. It's all I got left. And so remember when you hit bottom, or, or when you feel like you hit bottom, I remember, I remember his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. See verse 28. Thank you, sir. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Verse 28, enter the silence, bow in prayer. Don't ask questions, wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble, take it full face. The worst, in quotation marks, is never the worst. Why? Verse 31, 31st, because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. Remember that. He will not walk out. He will not fail to return. If he works severely, he also works tenderly. 
His stockpiles of loyal love are immense. He takes no pleasure in making life hard, in throwing roadblocks in the way. There's a verse, uh, I think it's in Isaiah, about Jesus. He said, it pleased him to bruise his son. But I think this other verse balances that. I don't think it's, it pleased him in the way that, uh, that I understand. Uh, that it made him happy or that, no, 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 I think, uh, I think that the pleasure was in that the word was being fulfilled in that man and that the, the calling in that man was being fulfilled. So it says it pleased him to bruise his son. Another version of, of this uh, chap, uh, verse 31, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Lamentations 3.31 But though he causes grief, yet will he be moved to compassion according to the multitude of his loving kindness and mercies. For he does not willingly and from his heart afflict or grieve the children of man. We need to believe that when we're going through something real difficult as some of you are, we need to remember that that is not what he's looking out for. He has something else in mind. Going to, to the 38th verse. It's another verse hard to take, but we must read it so we keep it in mind that there is a God that operates in a different, in a different uh, space, in a different level. Uh, and we got to meet him there. We cannot uh, make God the way we are and meet him in, in, in our own uh, ideas. He said, except it proceeds from the mouth of the Most High, whether the thing be good or bad. I got another version. He's, he said, um, Who is he, verse 37, Who is he who spoke and it came to pass when the Lord has not authorized and commanded it? It is not out of the mouth of the Most High that evil and good both proceed, adversity and prosperity, physical evil or misfortune, and physical good or happiness is the question. We also have, uh, I believe, we also have heard lots about uh, the prosperity message. And somehow, uh, I believe it, it also sort of uh, comes to us sometimes. <coughs> And that's why this verse appears here and it says uh, that uh, a lot of Christians don't believe that both things come from God. But we read a verse, somebody read a verse some time ago that says that God created darkness. Another verse somebody read says God was in the darkness. Rightly so. If he is sovereign, then he's sovereign of light and darkness. Yes. 
He is the Lord of all things. And we need to remember that when you are in the darkness, He is there. Brother Bill has quoted that other verse that says that though I made my bed in hell, you are there. And you'll find that uh, I don't know that many believers that believe that, that God is in hell. But if he is God, omnipotent, then he had to be every, everywhere. I don't think hell scares him one bit. I don't think darkness scares him. He's Lord of all. And so, but when we are going through hard times, we seem to, to forget that and seem to blame uh, other things. And we forget also that Satan is nothing but a tool. Right? Yeah. Do we agree with that? Yeah. We're not terrified of that. No. But sometimes comes, uh, comes to us and tells us things, speaks to us. We must remember, he's not Lord. He might be prince of the world, but he's not Lord. He might be doing all kind of, th kind of things in the world, but he's not Lord of the world. There's somebody above him, him. And that's the man we serve. And we need to remember that's the man we serve. Well, I always go back to Hebrews 11. But today we'll jump from there to 12. <laughs> Hebrews 11 seems to me that it's not talking exactly at what I thought it was. The so-called hearers of faith are not really hearers of faith. I think there are people that have come to trust the Lord totally in their shortcomings in their problems, in their lying, like Abraham, in their weaknesses, they have clung to the Lord as the only hope. And God has honored that. It seemed to me that he didn't care about what they did, like with David. It seemed like he didn't care what he did, but what he saw is that they trusted him, that they depended on him. And to him, that was more precious than anything else. They realized, these men realized where they were, and they realized who they were, and cried out to the Lord for help. So they're not superheroes, as sometimes we heard. And so we try to imitate that. And also I want to be a superhero. Uh, to believe, to have faith, to conquer. And yet, that was not the message. The message was of a desperate man, a sinking man, that reaches out and holds the only hand 
that can pull him out of the pit where he finds himself in. That is the, that is the hero of faith. A defeated man. That he comes face to face with his shortcomings. But he realizes there's somebody like this Jeremiah. He said, then I remember. I remember and I cling to that and I had hope. Can you have hope when you see your king being taken away in chains? Can you have hope when you see the rest of the people being taken away? Can you have hope when you see how many were killed, when you see the bodies laid on the streets? He said he had hope. When he saw all of that, he knew God was still there. So Hebrews 11 talks about that. I want to uh, read the last verses uh, for sake of time. I read them last time I was here before you. So some were tortured, verse 35, 11 chapter and will not accept deliverance in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others endure mockery, scourging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn to, put to death at source point. They went about in skins of sheep or goats, needy, afflicted, tormented. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered about in deserts and mountains caves and in crevices in the earth. <coughs> Yet, all this, once again, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Yet all this, though approved because of their faith, did not receive what had been promised. The reason, not logical to me, and I'm sure not logical to them, God have foreseen something better for us. He saw something better for James. I wonder how they took that. They could see far away. I wonder when they saw Luke, and God said, because of these fellows, Don't look logical understanding from this book. It's just, it's just not there. God had foreseen something better for us so that with us, without us, they should not be made perfect. And so God had a plan. He's carrying on his plan and it's going to be fulfilled. And we need to trust that. So, when we are looking around and seeing the world and the things that happen, or the things that are happening with us in our families, uh, or, or with yourself, 
You need to remember that somebody that has a plan. Brother Richard should understand that. He always says, let's, let's have a plan. <laughs> Brother Richard, what are we going to do? Well, I'm working on a plan. <laughs> well, God has a plan, brother. <laughs> and his plan is not going to fail. So, we read chapter 11, and it says, therefore, because of what we just read, the whole chapter, because of that, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, there's a great cloud of witnesses around us, and here is the thing we need to do. Let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us. That's what we need to do. The race is right there before us. Brethren, let us run. It says, let us run with patience. I think it says in the King James, let us run with patience while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Watching the author of our faith. That's where we have to put our, our sight. And he says, uh, for the sake of the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame, and has taken his seat at the right of the throne of God. Consider how he endured such opposition from sinners in order that you might not grow weary and lose heart. So let us consider that. And let us be encouraged to run the race that is ahead of us. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses looking this way, watching us as we run our race. The Lord bless you. Thank you, Abel. Um, I was thinking while Abel was talking that the <clears throat> the ambitiousness of God to want us to see the problem isn't that you and I disagree with God's ways being higher than ours. The issue really that where there's tension, I believe, is that God wants us also to be partakers of that same divine nature. That's his whole plan and purpose uh, for, for men that he's called, women, men. And um, that's where the, the, the difficulty comes in in trusting that and, and trusting what God must do to get us into the condition where first the few things that he said that are really important that uh, that get us into the condition where we're very thirsty uh, for, for the water of life, where we truly are thirsty. And God, that is personalized to every single one of us. God knows the things that touches us, touch us 
uh, as individuals to get us to the place where we genuinely thirst uh, for for the water of life, and um, and God is so bringing us into the condition where we can escape our humanity, uh, the corruption of that, um, bringing us into incorrupt uh, into an incorruptible state, and. And actually, um, if we're never touched with suffering, the soul, it left to itself, my soul, left to itself is very um, uh, averse to suffering. And I, I, that, that's where all of us must understand that, that God must bring us through suffering. And, if, and really, if you think about it, if you, ever meet, if you ever met anybody that's never gone through any suffering, which is kind of a silly concept to actually live in this life and on this earth and not having been touched by some level of suffering. Uh, I, th I think this life is just uh, inherent to this life. Um, but the character of God is love and compassion, as the Bible says. That love and compassion is not dependent upon a, a single environmental factor. And that's why God so loved the world while we were yet sinners. While we were enemies of God, God sent His Son. And I think that's the kind of divine character it's, that's a wonderful provision, but that, the purpose of that provision was to bring forth the divine character in the likes of us. And so he must take us through all seasons to demonstrate that he is able to cover our soul. If our soul is covered with his presence, with his spirit, he's able to take us through those things and not be moved out of uh, that place of the character of God, the divine, the peace of God, the love of God, um, hope, all those things. Uh, and God wants to enable us to be a part of that. I was going to just read the scripture if I can. I think it's, uh, it's Isaiah 58. And the Lord, uh, verse 11, shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And honestly, the, the kind of... In, the Bible uses the word in uh, Hebrews 10, 34. It says, you have a more enduring substance. And I thought, that is exactly what God's bringing forth in us. An enduring substance that is not moved uh, based upon a change in our environment uh, for something that is contrary to what our soul thinks should happen. The Lord will guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in a totally wrong time, in drought. That's when God does his best work. So thank you, Abel, for underlining that tonight.